Hello listeners, welcome back to the Founders Club podcast, episode 32. In this episode, my guest is Don Wojcik, president and founder of Started Up, a nonprofit that provides entrepreneurial events training and seed founding for young entrepreneurs. Moreover, Started Up Foundation empowers students, entrepreneurs and in- innovators with collaborative immersive experiences, accelerates program and seed founding for students under 20. Don is also a podcast host for Started Up, which hosts some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and authors. So please do enjoy this podcast and subscribe to the Founders Club Club. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Founders Club podcast. And today's guest is Don. Don, welcome to the Founders Club podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Super great to have you. We've been connected on LinkedIn for some time and uh, I've been following your work and what you do. Uh, And of course, this uh, podcast, I want to talk with you about education, innovation and how you match those two worlds nowadays especially mm-hmm. with the latest uh, things that happened in 2020. And, um, but before going there, let's start with a bit of uh, self-introduction. And if you want to introduce yourself a little bit, and what do you do? Sure, sure. Um, my name is Don Wetrick. Um, I run Started Up Foundation. We treat education like a startup. Um, I also run the um, state of Indiana, the state I live um, in, in the United States. Uh, called Innovate Within. It is the largest entrepreneurship pitch competition in the country. It's quite a big payout. And it's also a, uh, a cohort that goes through during the summer. Uh, and again, it's called Innovate Within. Wrote a book called Pure Genius, Creating a Culture of Innovation, and uh, taught for 21 years and focused on innovation and entrepreneurship. And that's a lot of things. Uh, and let's start with a started, startup, started up uh, foundation. And mm-hmm. Um, what is that propelled you to start this venture and uh, yeah. why a foundation? So uh, why a foundation? Because um, one, we, we had a lot of um, entrepreneurs and quite honestly, businesses that wanted more people to think this way. And so they wanted to know how they could help. And the best way they can help is to contribute to a nonprofit. So we started a nonprofit for that reason. Also because the state of Indiana was running this pitch competition and they wanted us to run it. Again, being a nonprofit means you can get a tax deduction. Um, But one of the reasons why we wanted to focus on this is that, um, you know, I taught long enough and saw that the students had got really good grades and they memorized things short term. That wasn't really preparing them for the future. It was preparing them for a good grade. That's it. Uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to be dismissive and say, that's it. There, there is some merit, but for the most part, you know, focusing on innovation and, and true collaboration and problem solving wasn't necessarily part of the curriculum. And so we wanted to do something about that. So, you know, we started to work with students and, and get them to solve interesting problems. And then um, like, ultimately we started this odd class called innovation and open source learning innovation in the sense that I took the first six or seven weeks of school, teach you how to think for yourself, how to backward design, how to build a team, how to understand your weaknesses and acknowledge them and build a team around it of strengths. 
And then open source learning in the sense that, you know, if you said, hey, I, I really want to learn how to create a game and put it on the app store. Well, I don't know how to do that. So we open source that learning. So the mm -hmm. classroom basically became a, a hub of like, you know, collaborating with people outside of our classroom on people that knew how to do it. And of course, there's, you know, at age 16, 17, 18, they were starting to collaborate with like really awesome people. So you don't have to wait until you're in college to network with people. You can do it now. And um, yeah, we, we just kind of took that model from the classroom and started spreading it to as many places as we can with the foundation. I found this so interesting to bring that aspect of entrepreneurship and innovation in a, in a school, in a classroom and try to um, do, well, at least students to put a hands-on on what is it like to be an entrepreneur and what is it like to innovate. So going to this, what I want to ask, what is innovation for you and how, how do you help students or how do you instill such skills and values in, of innovation and entrepreneurship in, in, in a school ecosystem? Yeah, well, I think it's what you hit on is the hardest part. <laughs> um, it, was, it was like clearing the way of like, what is school? And, 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 and getting them out of that if then scenarios of school. If, if I pretend that I'm learning and I repeat back what you want to hear, will you give me a good grade? That is school. Innovation is the exact opposite of that. Innovation is I'm going to solve an interesting problem. I'm probably not going to get it right for a while. I'm probably going to learn from all of my mistakes, but there are no mistakes in school. That's called a bad grade. Right. So the first thing we had to do is get them off of that. And, um, you know, what is innovation to me? It, it, it's problem solving. It's solving interesting problems. And it doesn't have to be cancer or it doesn't have to be, you know, some laborious app. Innovation is what is important to you and, you know, how, how are you going to solve this? You know, how, how am I going to, how am I going to start a podcast? That's an interesting problem. You did that. All right. That makes you innovative. How, how, how do I, you know, how do I stay on top of this? Or quite frankly, you know, uh, uh, any, any sort of like, you'll walk around and you'll see a problem. If you see a problem as an opportunity, you're an innovator. If you see a problem and want to complain about it on social media, you're everybody else. I'm not, I don't want to, I didn't want to have kids be a, I'm bothered by things and I'm going to create an awareness campaign online. Well, awareness campaign means it's going on. What the hell do you want to do about it is starting something that's, and, and really that's when innovation transforms into entrepreneurship because that cool idea you have that may be innovative, if you really want to build and scale something, well, now you're talking about entrepreneurship. So this comes back to, uh, having this uh, mindset because not everybody should be an entrepreneur, I think, and probably right. not everybody is driven to do that. But uh, everyone should at least think like like one, like an entrepreneur. Yes. So as a young at a young age, as a student, but not necessarily, or as someone who is older and uh, mm -hmm. in a career path, how can you embrace that? entrepreneurial way of being that kind of mindset you're taking something straight because that, that's what we saw like in our foundation in our kind of our mission statement we don't think that everybody should be an entrepreneur but we think we should think like them and we even called that that entrepreneurial way of being um 
there was an old story from years ago that the lady that worked for an airline, she researched that if they took the olive out of the salad that they served online uh, on the flight, it would save them over $500,000. Is that being an entrepreneur? No, but you're thinking like one. You're thinking for the best interest of the company. You're thinking of how can we succeed? So again, that's, that's, that's opposed to what they're taught in school. And, and I think that if, you know, you know, Seth Godin calls it you know, being a linchpin. So if you work for McDonald's, right? An, an employee mindset would be like, like you see a problem and you know that you could fix it, but McDonald's isn't paying me any extra, so I don't have to. Okay, that makes you everybody else. But if you sit there, like if you told your manager, hey, I noticed that the guy's working on fries is he'd be way more effective if he were up front on the counter because he's faster. And this person over here should work fly. And I think we just move faster. That is thinking like an entrepreneur. And so that person would immediately be promoted. And th that person is sought after. And, and quite frankly, like in this example, would that person work at McDonald's forever? No, people would want to steal that person because they're thinking like an entrepreneur. They're thinking what's, what's the best for everybody around them. Yeah, sometimes the best would entail like how we can do this better or how we can save uh, some cost or how yes. we can uh, save time in doing some, uh, optimizing some processes. And I've seen quite many people um, talk to some other uh, founders and so on and so forth. And what they call this incorporates, for instance, is so-called entrepreneur and yes. have these design programs uh, yes. at a corporate level, uh, helping those managers to devote some of their time, effort, and building a team to address some specific problem that they have, maybe indirectly of addressing like 20% of their time. And I've seen this in one of your TED Talks, you actually trying to implement such program in your, uh, in your school. And if you want to talk a little bit about that, because I know after watching this TED Talk, it was not easy at the beginning and it took some time to an iteration actually to come make it more successful over time. So can you talk more about that? About the TED talk? About the experience of bringing this uh, innovation oh. and lessons and teaching oh, in school. Yeah, yeah. And well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the heart, yeah. It was kind of like I was saying before, like in the beginning of this, students still wanted to treat it like school except for the ones that didn't. And, and ironically enough, some of my best students were C and D students. And I think that that's also the hard part in the journey of if we're going to teach innovation in school, it's gonna be hard because the culture is still school. It's still compliance based. If I do this, then you give me this grade. That's not innovative. It's not the way the rest of the world works. Well, it is, but not on the innovative side. It's transactional. And so I think that was, yeah, you're right. I talked about that in my TED talk. And, and, and I, I think that, you know, uh, that's been my hard part of when I was doing this in class and we had some success in my class. Was it successful school-wide? No, it, but, but, I, but I will say this, like innovation is also not for everybody. Some people just like to be told what to do. And I understand that. I, I, it's not for me. And so I think that this struggle of, um, you know, hoping that everybody's going to be innovative. It's, it's, I don't think it's going to happen. 
Um, but I, I at least wanted students to have that first taste of that, even though some of them just didn't take it or run with it. Right. And what are the, some, some of the changes uh, that you have seen in education, in education sector as a mm. consequences of school closure and social right. distancing norms and so on and so forth that impacted both schools, students, teachers, and parents to some degree? Uh, I think you hit it on the head when, when you said parents to some degree, because all of a sudden, moms and dads were also quarantined as well. And they would listen to their son or daughter's lessons. And they're like, this is what you're working on? Like, this is what you do all day? You know, I, I hear from a lot of parents and teachers that like, there's some scrutiny um, that it's, it's, it's magnified. If, if you were, and I'm not saying this to be mean, but like, <laughs> but I, I was listening to some people saying right. like, they were doing crossword puzzles over zoom calls and you're like that's the best use of time but isn't the same things that the parents were doing in 20 years ago or more yeah but but well so good point but i think this has been the great awakening well this is what i did and i got a good job that has ended people are in a lot of debt because this next generation millennials are not going to force their kids to go to college i promise you They're going to be like, eh, if it works out. There's so many millennials that just went to college for the sake of going to college and they're paying off huge amount of debt. And they just went in a, some, like some kind of a degree. Now it is skills. So if you're acquiring skills, you're hireable. And I think that the parents are now looking at the high school, you know, like, hey, you know, did you memorize, you know, what happened on this date? I can just ask Google for that. Right. It, it, like, Like I used to memorize things when I was a kid. That's not needed. And so now if you're solving interesting problems and acquiring skills, you are valuable. If you're just like getting a good grade, you are everybody else, worse than everybody else. Right, if, you, so if you can be replaced by a robot, you will be replaced by a robot very soon. And no one feels sorry for you. So as a adapt, you know, as a adapt right. right, adapt or be replaced. As a consequence, you see that parents or at least millennial parents will not invest money or push their kids to go in college because they don't see the value as it was 20 or 10 years ago even. Because True. of the new way of teaching and, and so on and so forth. My own son, I have, I have an 11-year-old. He loves learning, just not necessarily as much in school. Why? Because he loves watching tutorials on YouTube. He, he knows how to build and create things because he watches some tutorials like, okay, I'm good. I'll create that. Yeah, and I think that's the other mindset. I think that's the other mindset. Are you a consumer or are you a producer? You have to consume to be able to produce. You, like, you run your own podcast. You could listen to podcasts all day. You decided to do one on your own. Why? Because you wanted to produce. Exactly. And winners, people that are winning are producing. Now, is that getting more and more crowded? Yes. So now you have to figure out how to be better. But how, again, yeah. that's a skill. How to diversify yourself. So going back to, uh, you mentioned a name, very interesting, and I'm uh, a fan of, mentioned Seth Godin. And one of the things he's uh, saying also in his books and his uh, podcast, if you want to learn how to uh, ride the bike, don't read a book, but ride, uh, ride the bike. That's one of the, 
primary example of his mantra and of his key elements that he's continuing repeating in his books and podcasts. And uh, to attack my, to take my uh, point into that is in often in schools, most of, most of the time we are told what to learn, but almost never and how to learn. And this obviously creates in the education system a lot of inefficiencies because not being educated on the how to learn, like how to learn math or how to learn science or how to learn even a language, a second language. We end up by default learning things based on memorization system. And once we pass the exam or the test subject and it's done, so our knowledge is. So how can schools, education institutions become more innovative, transform, adapt, and embrace this culture of innovation and to get rid of the memorization yeah. system and compliance-based? I, I think I'm glad you mentioned Seth because um, actually there's a fun story on him. I, I, I've been blessed and privileged to, to know him and then him be able to talk to my students. Um, but one of my favorite quotes came from Lynchpin. And he said, education can be boiled down to two things, if you think about it, solving interesting problems and the leadership to get it done. So what can schools be, what could schools be doing? Finding problems to solve and then leadership training on how do you form teams and how do you get results? And then how do you send that up the pipeline? That's it. So like, if, like if, if teachers ask themselves, why am I teaching what I'm teaching? Well, because it's on the graduation step, but, but why? Like, you know, like, why, why do we solve for pi? If there are some interesting problems you're solving, great. But if you're just like, I'm solving it for the sake of solving it, well, then why are you doing that? So if there's, and, and by the way, there's, there's value in obviously solving for pi. There's value in understanding history if you're solving problems. If you're saying, I acknowledge that, you know, on this day, this treaty was signed. All right, that's cool. Why do you need that knowledge? Oh, to make sure that we don't make that same mistake in history. Great. But we don't take the time. Well, sometimes we don't take the time to do that. So I, I, I think that, you know, as the, as the students scan their world for problems to solve, having time in the school day to create interesting solutions is the right thing to do. Do you think on a technological level, are there interesting uh, technological solutions that helping us to address the different uh, and current problems emerging in education where the Googles, the Facebooks of the, of the education are still have to be built? I hope that so. <laughs> one or of we end up with Zoom being our default uh, platform to use and perform our lessons online. I, I think that because competition is competition, we're going to see different changes. I, I think that I think Twitch is going to enter the play um, soon, although Twitch is technically Amazon. Um, I think I think there's going to be a lot of different learning platforms. My fear is that it's going to be dominated by one or two. So I'm always rooting for that little guy that brings something else to the party. Um, and, and there's always new creative things like, you know, obviously like Anchor for a while was kind of like a, an, an alternative to, uh, you know, podcasting or I've seen um, was a clubhouse. Now that's kind of an app that's on iOS only that you can start, you know, coming in and having these forums and talking through voice. So I, I yeah, what does the future look like? Uh, hopefully it's not just Zoom or just Amazon or just Microsoft. I hope that there's, you know, constant innovation and, and 
tweaking. But that is to say, do I think this is going to topple the school building? Possibly. In the short term, no. In the long term, of course. Is there something that excites you in looking forward and what will happen in the education industry or not really? What worries you? So I have two different <laughs> diametrically opposed uh, scenarios. Um, my fear is that um, <laughs> this is where I have the tinfoil hat thing. My fear is where um, there's not going to be a lot to do um, and a lot of things. Well, have you seen the Pixar film WALL-E? I think I've seen it. Right. I think I've so seen at the end of WALL-E, the human race is basically floating around in, in a spaceship and basically there's nothing for them to do. So they watch entertainment. That's it. Oh, right. Robots serve them and there's nothing for them to do. They have no purpose. That's my fear. My other end of that is all of the hard things are going to be done for us. So we'll have time to spend on good things. For example, how long did it take traditionally a woman to fix a meal for her family back in 1812? Answer is, it took her all day to make two meals. Now, how much easier is that person's life? By, by the amount of things that she doesn't have to do, it, it, sh it should be easier. Now, we filled our life with a lot more stress, but you get my point. If, if the things that we don't like to, that are meaning, meaningful, meaningless tasks and, and things that we don't really enjoy doing, we'll have robots and machines to do that for us. So we will have time to create those passionate things we want to do. So we're either going to be Wally -E and we're, we'll do nothing but watch, or we'll be able to be creatively free and do whatever we want because those things are taken away from us. Here's the, here's the both sides of this. All of it hinged on you being creative. If you want to be, a, and, and ironically enough, in Wally, -E, who were who the only people that really had jobs? People that were creating entertainment. But with AI, I will say, and I'm not going to go off the, the deep end, but with AI, you can now create virtual people and you can have anyway. So those creatives are going to be in demand, whether we're in dystopia or we're in this utopia. Creatives will always be number one. So yeah. therefore, keep on podcasting, man. <laughs> you know, like We have to be entertained somehow. Can we find other people to hold up a sign that says for sale? Can we find other people that, you know, sell commodities? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but no, like a machine can redo that. But the creatives are always going to be creative and they're going to be in demand. Yeah, I think um, beside obviously having the skill of creativity and create work and put it out in the world, it's something that we all have to embrace. Moreover, uh, I think another point is like the ability to reinvent yourself and start be comfortable in wearing different kind of hats and different kind of shoes. That's another element that I I try to embrace myself. Obviously, it's not easy to one for one year to do a be a video creator, podcast creator, and then the next year uh, be an engineer. But if you harness this skill of reinventing yourself, learning something new. and well, Right. Because if you want to be an engineer, those that year that you spend or those two years you spend as a podcaster and video editor is going to be a skill that's going to be appreciated in your next career. You know, they're, they're never standalone. And so even on, like, I encourage my, my students to try things that they thought, like, I'm a big fan of quitting. 
Like some kids like, oh, I want to learn how to code. And they code for like a month. They're like, well, this sucks. Awesome. <laughs> Quit. You discovered what you don't like. And I think that there's a merit in that. Or they learn just enough that they might, you know, if, if in their next job, they're like, hey, can you code a little bit? Eh, a little bit. But um, I, I, I think that those trying and learning of new skills, even if it's just dabbling. Like, I, like I, I love the fact that you have your own show. I think that every single person should have their own show. And then people are like, well, if everybody has their own show, who's going to listen? Well, exactly. The, the, the best is still going to be the best. But just that art of finding guests and learning how to produce and learning how to edit and learning how to promote is a skill worth doing. Yeah, and I don't think like you have to aim having thousands and thousands of listeners. You can go for uh, what what is called the so-called minimum viable viable audience or the so-called 1,000 true fans. And, and that actually puts you in a good spot if you manage to, to find those uh, people and, and deliver enough good quality work. They will enable you to create a living out of that. Uh, in terms of talking about things that like and dislike, so I want to address the likes first. And what is it like for you or in general to run a, um, a, a foundation in this case, as you did started with uh, Startup uh, Foundation? Um, like what are some of the lessons I've learned? Exactly. Uh, should, it's, it's, should someone it, should someone start a foundation no, with a focus no, on education? No, because I started a company uh, in the fo- with a focus on education, and I'm interesting about foundations. So, yeah, I mean, uh, in some ways, look, I'm not going to cry in my beer. I mean, the state of Indiana wanted to start us out, and so we got a we got an on ramp. Now, will they be giving us money forever? No, they, they wanted us to start it and see if we could make it sustainable. And that's currently what we're doing. We're proud of that, but it's not easy. You know, when, when you're a, when you're a business, it's transactional. I have a service and ironically enough, like a nonprofit, like we still have services and we have still things we're doing for students that is kind of transactional. Um, but a lot of times our, our service is for other schools. And so you're not really, it's not a, it's not a customer that is, it's not a, it's not really a B to C it's a B to B. So, um, but it's, you know, it, there's a lot more rules and regulations. There's a lot more things you have to worry about with a nonprofit, but I will say, um, I, I, I'm not in this for the money I am in this for, I, I feel bad that education needs to do things now and needs to adapt. And so, um, I want to be able to make free resources for students. And if, and if we have some big donors that say, I wish I had this when I was 16 and they want to write us a check, great. Because I don't want to charge that 16-year-old kid that needs this. And so I like that I can give away things for free, but somebody's going to pay for it. And, and, and that's the definition of a nonprofit. You know, I, literally, it's, you know, whether you're a homeless shelter, somebody's got to pay for that homeless shelter. Uh, or you're, you know, trying to get students to, to, you know, be more innovative and, and entrepreneurial. Yeah, I guess there are so many differences in running a nonprofit than rather than a profit. As you mentioned, one is more transactional, and yeah. you have a product, you try to sell it, push in the market, and if yeah. it doesn't work, you iterate both the product or the the marketing, whatever it is. Whereas in a nonprofit, there are different. Kind of stakeholders you have to take an account and isn't the less transaction more about 
creating value, creating a community, and so on and so forth. Uh, and talking about, I guess, impact on a personal level, uh, obviously you're president and also founder of this yeah. um, organization. What is the impact that you want to have, maybe a personal or also an education system? Um, <laughs> boldly, I'd like to start being mentioned in the in in this the book that is being written about when education changed. And I really do think that book started in 2020. Why when all that? of a sudden things, why? It's because that's when education was massively disrupt, disrupted, as we all were. But I think this was this this is this was the deciding moment that people look back and go, schools were starting to change slowly. Schools had to adapt faster because of this. And I want um, our programming and our competition to be one of those. You know, this was helpful, and this is what got my daughter, or this is what got my son thinking this way. That's a great way to uh, summarize and wrap up the podcast. Don, thank you very much for putting your thoughts uh, and adding your thoughts to the podcast. I had such a wonderful time talking to you. Thank you so much for being able to let me share it. <laughs> and I had a great time interviewing you as well.